I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 27. Again, Psalm 27. The 27th Psalm. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that we see Jesus, that we see your Son more clearly, that we love him more, that we will see the truth, the, 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 the historical truth of your grand redemptive plan that is still working out in lives today, even of those gathered here today. Lord, encourage your people that need encouraging. Call back the people that have backslidden and save those that do not know you. Regenerate them, quicken them, I pray, quicken them, please, Lord. Let the preacher not err. Let the preacher give you honor and glory. May he disappear from the pulpit. And may we hear the word of God accurately divided. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
David, writing under the power of the Spirit, says, says that Yahweh, the Lord, is his light. 1 John 1.5 proclaims, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Ezekiel 43, verse 2. And behold, the glory of God, the God of Israel, was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Habakkuk 3, 4, his brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. I want to draw your focus to an event during the earthly ministry of Christ. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, this is the historical event of Jesus' transfiguration in front of a few of his apostles. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We see in verse 2 that Jesus' face shone like the sun. And in verse 5, we see that a bright cloud overshadowed them. The mention of the cloud may have taken your mind back to the Hebrew people's journey through the Exodus out of Egypt during their wilderness journeys before entering the land of Canaan. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 reads. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. Numbers 9, 15 through 16. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle, in the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now let's go farther along in our Bibles to Revelation 21. Last book of our Bibles, Revelation chapter 21, and directing your attention to verse 22. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Revelation 21. We see that the glory of God will illuminate the new Jerusalem and the Lamb 
who is Jesus, is the light of the city. This was foreshadowed in Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. It reads, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Micah 7.8 proclaims, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. The Lord will be a light to me. The famous Puritan Bible commentator Matthew Henry comments that David was referred to as the lamp or light of Israel. 2 Samuel 21 verse 17 reads, But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid, referring to David, and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So we see David is an older man at this time, and he's still going out to fight, but he's not as strong as he he once was. He gets more tired during war. So they say, you're not going out with us uh, to the campaigns to fight battles anymore, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Henry asserts that as the moon reflects light, so David metaphorically reflects the light that God has graciously shown upon him. Is that true of you today, my Christian brother and sister? The Lord was and still is David's light. And we too must let our light shine before all men. We are called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13-16 reads, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may see your good works, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. David says that Yahweh, the Lord, is his light and his salvation. The word salvation was translated from the Hebrew word yesha. The New Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible uses the following synonyms to describe yesha. Liberty, deliverance, prosperity, safety, and salvation. God would protect and sustain David physically. But he is also the one who rescued David from spiritual destruction. Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Moses and the Israelite people also knew God as a mighty Savior. Exodus 14, verses 13 through 14, was spoken prior to the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, 
you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Exodus 15, verse 2, is part of the song of Moses after the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was drowned in the mighty waters. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Hosea 13, verse 4 states, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is a rhetorical question. Since the Lord is David's light and his salvation, David will not fear anymore. In 1 Samuel 30, we are told that David and his men's families were taken captive by the Amalekites. We are told in the narrative that David's men considered killing him. But David responded by finding his strength in God. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Brother and sister, when times are incredibly hard, when you struggle to pay the bills, when you have a wayward child that will not respond to your messages, when there are issues in your marriage, when a loved one gets sick, terminally sick, or dies, do you, beloved, strengthen yourself in God? Let me ask you, The reverse, when life is easy, plain, and dull, do you remember Him? For we are to call to Him in the dark valleys and also on the high hills. When the sun is shining and also through the cloud, cloudy and cold nights. For the Spirit that empowered David is the same Holy Spirit that fills believers today. Do you strengthen yourself in God? When hardships come, or when we have been disobedient before Him, we often, like our first parents, want to hide away. But you must come to God. For your Father sees you, and brethren, He hears your prayers. He also commands your prayers, for we are instructed in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 reads, We are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Friend, do you know God as your light and your salvation? When you are in the metaphorical valley of the shadow of death, Do you recall His faithfulness? Do you remember His power and grace? Do you consider previously answered prayers prayed according to His will? 
Do you bring to mind that He is the all-powerful and only God? We in this nation often live as Christian atheists. We say, yeah, I wouldn't bow to a Buddha. I wouldn't bow to, bow to Moloch. I wouldn't bow to Chemish or, or any Hindu god. But if we don't pray to Him, we're acting like atheists. Do you hear me, beloved? This is, this is for all of us. Me too. We are blessed with the continuous ministry of each person of the monotheistic triune God. We are additionally blessed with an overwhelming supply of Bibles in our nation. You can even access them on your phone. Is the Word of God, beloved, described in Psalm 119, verse 105, a reality in your life? It reads, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you enjoy camping, or if you're an outdoorsy person, then you are likely familiar with pitch black darkness at night. So black where you can't see your hand in front of your face. You know well that unless the moon is shining extremely bright, that you will likely hurt yourself if you were to walk through the woods at midnight without a flashlight or a lantern. Well, in the same way, we will trip, fall, and injure ourselves when we do not have a clear, have the clear and comforting direction of the Word of God in our lives. A.W. Tozer once said, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. David proceeds to write in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here we see another rhetorical question presented. David should not be afraid of anyone. Why? Because the Lord is the strength of his life. The fear of man and the fear of what man can do to the flesh, to the body, is often a fear that most wrestle with. If we let the fear of people or individuals keep us from obeying God, then we will consistently end up serving the interests of ourselves and others, but not God. The martyr Polycarp said the following before facing execution, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He would not recant. He would not back down. He would not run away, even at the thought of losing his life. He would play the man, as the English martyr Hugh Latimer would tell Bishop Nicholas Ridley at their execution hour many years later. The strength that the saints in oppressive lands stand in, the strength that martyrs, the martyrs of the early church stood in, the strength that all believers stand in is not strength forged by man. It is not whipped up by emotion or youthful zeal. It is spirit-wrought steadfastness and an unwavering focus on God and His will and His purposes. It is the same outlook of the young Hebrews in Babylonian captivity who were facing death. 
Reading Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The late preacher Leonard Ravenhill once said, He who fears God fears no man. End quote. You see, you can't be strong in your own flesh. That's what I used to do back in college, lifting incredibly heavy weights, 75-pound dumbbells on each arm, trying to become impressive and large. That's ridiculous. That's foolish. Nothing's wrong with weightlifting. But I'm saying to build your, 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 your external strength, maybe it's money that your security is in. Maybe it's relationships with others which are a blessing. But you can only get over the fear of man by the fear of God. Things are terrifying in this world. If you, if you turn on the news recently, you need to focus upon God Almighty. Then everything is put in its proper place. The Christian will be focused on God. And the Holy Spirit will sanctify them to become more and more like Jesus. Will there be ups and downs in our Christian walk? Definitely, yes. Unfortunately, but yes. But keep close to God in prayer. Keep reading your Bibles and spend time in fellowship with the saints. Every issue or fear in your life, no matter how scary or overwhelming it may be, needs to be brought before the Lord. And this message is likewise for me. It's for all of us. The weight of all of our burdens, no matter how crushing and painful they may be, maybe it's crushing and painful for a moment, or over years, or maybe over decades, though incredibly challenging, Our issues are truly small. They're of a small scale in light of the reality of our God who sustains and directs every atom right now. An old preacher in the UK, I've heard Stephen Lawson tell the story, a young preacher in the UK, old preacher in the UK many years ago, was approached by an old woman. And she asked the minister, Sir, can we even come to God with small things in our life? And he looked at her and he said, Dear woman, everything is small in your life. We come to God with everything. Everything. We're not charismatic, but sometimes the charismatics put us to shame because they're praying and praying and praying. We, have, we are blessed with good theology, but may our theology inform our worship. But the wonder and the incredible grace is that our God sees us. And He will sustain us through our suffering all because of Christ. John Calvin penned the following. 
seeing that a pilot steers the ship in which we sail, we will never, who will never allow us to perish, even in the midst of shipwrecks. There is no reason why our minds should be overwhelmed with fear and overcome with weariness. A few years ago, a man told me, a friend of mine told me that he trained his body and his mind to prepare itself for the worst possible outcomes. He explained that in the event that a family member dies, he is prepared to cope with the loss. It's very similar to David Goggins, if you're familiar with that long-distance runner. His description, though in the flesh, may sound appealing to some, but it is not a Christian sentiment. This worldview has its roots in stoicism and pride, which says, I can take all things that come upon me. It's not going to affect me. I can do it all in my flesh. The following came from a Ligonier article titled Strength in Christ. Followers of Stoic principles believed that there was little they could do about the circumstances they faced, but that they could control their responses to events in a way that ensured their contentment. This virtue was something that the ancient Stoics pursued in an individualistic manner, and they worked to create in themselves a disposition that would allow them never to experience distress on the account of their circumstances. End quote. Please note that Paul does encourage the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, to be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. We are not to be pushovers or cowards, but we should be marked by the fruit of the Spirit as described in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For against such things there is no law. We will and should feel the pain of loss when a loved one dies. But we know that we are and we will be kept by our great God and Savior. 2 Corinthians 1.3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Psalm 34.18 reads, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. For our God is with us. David in Psalm 139, 7-10 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. John Calvin wrote the following in his commentary on the Psalms. Let us learn, therefore, to put such a value on God's power to protect us as to put to flight all our fears. Not that the minds of the faithful can, by reason of the infirmity of the flesh, be at all times entirely devoid of fear, but immediately recovering courage. Let us, from the high tower of our confidence, look down upon all our dangers with contempt." End quote. We are weak. We are but dust. But we are renewed creatures, saved and sustained by the almighty and eternal God. 
Please direct your attention back to Psalm 27, verse 1. And I'm not preaching through this whole psalm, okay? (laughs) Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you trust in God? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? For salvation is found in no other but through Christ alone. If you do not know Him, may you be able to call Christ your light and your salvation. May God be the strength of your life. Turn from your wrongdoing and turn to Jesus. Submit to Him. The Lord was and still is David's strength. David had no reason to fear. Please direct your attention to verse 2 of Psalm 27. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumbled, stumble and fall. When evildoers assail me. In the New King James Version, it renders, when the wicked came against me. Quoting Charles Spurgeon, It is a hopeful sign for us when the wicked hate us. If our foes were godly men, it would be a sore sorrow. But as for the wicked, their hatred is better than their love. Dr. Stephen Lawson correctly stated the following, If you please God, Pastor John quotes this many times, If you please God, it does not matter whom you displease. And if you displease Him, it doesn't matter who you please. End quote. John Bunyan, the writer of the Pilgrim's Progress, was imprisoned for 12 years because as a non-ordained, non-conformist, non-Anglican minister, he refused to stop preaching, even though the crown mandated it. Bunyan, who had young children at the time, famously said the following, I will stay in prison till the moss grows on my eyelids rather than disobey God. I hope that the words of the Apostle Peter ring true in your soul today. John 6, 68, Peter speaking to Christ, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. When hardships come, Christ will sustain you. Philippians 4, 11-13, the words of the Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Oh, how this verse has been cheapened by many in the West. This, this is not so you can leap over, uh, do, do the pole vault, pole vault or, or win, a, win a track uh, race or the Super Bowl. It is better to serve God rather than men. And David faced many foes in his life. King Saul, his king and father-in-law, tried to kill him many times. Saul even gave David his daughter in marriage, who was an idol worshiper, so she would be a snare to him. 1 Samuel 18, 20-22. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul... And the thing pleased him. Saul thought, 
Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law. You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul's men were on their way to kill David. David escapes, and McCall, who is Saul's daughter and David's wife, placed a large idol, which is referred to as a teraphim, in David's bed. This idol would be about my size or a little smaller. It's a very large statue. This was done to trick the men sent by King Saul. 1 Samuel 19, verse 13. Michal took an image, this is the teraphim, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. Even though Michal protected David, you have to wonder why the Hebrew King Saul's daughter would have an idol readily available in their home. Some scholars believe this was because Michal was an idol worshiper and this teraphim, this idol, was used in her worship. If this is the case, then King Saul likely gave Michal to David in marriage, knowing that she may lead him into false worship. This makes sense given her response to David's leaping and whirling before Yahweh in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Please turn there with me now. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Directing your attention to verse 14. Second Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child 
to the day of her death. We see that McCall clearly had a major problem with David responding in an expressive form of worship before Yahweh, before the Lord. And in verse 23, we are told that she was barren for the rest of her life. This may have been because God either did not open her womb in judgment or because David in judgment never had relations with her again. We clearly see that David was a persecuted man. He was persecuted by his former king and later by his own wife. David would eventually be run out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom. And Absalom would humiliate David and his concubines in 2 Samuel 16, verse 22. This was an act of judgment in response to David's infidelity with Bathsheba and the associated murder of Uriah the Hittite. The prophet Nathan delivered this judgment of God in 2 Samuel chapter 12. While David was fleeing from the city, he's fleeing from Absalom, his son, we are told in 2 Samuel 16 that a man of the tribe of Benjamin, of the family of Saul named Shimei, cursed David and threw stones at him. David escaped from the city that he had originally conquered. And Shimei came to kick David when he was down. We are warned against this in sacred scripture. Proverbs 24, 17 through 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Throughout all David's life, God protected and provided for him. And dear Christian, God will provide for you. He will give you everything that is needful for you. Everything that is necessary For He will provide for you according to His perfect sovereign will. But not yours. It's it's His will. Reading 1 Kings chapter 15, 4-5. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God was, is, and forever will be faithful. Even when David was not, God was faithful. Even when we are not, even when we are disobedient, our great God is faithful. And God would preserve the line of David. And eventually the Messiah the Christ, the Lord Jesus, would come through David's family. Psalm 27, verse 2, When evildoers assail me, they eat up my flesh. When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh. In 2 Kings 9, 36, we see similar language used when referring to the judgment of Jezebel. Reading 2 Kings 9, 36, When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elisha the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. Quoting the Reformation Study Bible, The enemy seeks the physical harm of the psalmist. The expression also has a figurative meaning, to slander me. 
the ESV study Bible comments. The picture here is probably of evildoers as wild animals who would devour the faithful. And Dr. John MacArthur adds, an allusion to the psalmist's enemies being like vicious beasts. This wording was also employed to describe slander and defamation, end quote. The wicked are portrayed as vicious beasts. The language also speaks of malicious talk, unjustified harming, or character assassination. I will now read a few verses that paint the picture of the wicked or evildoers being portrayed as ferocious creatures. Psalm 7, verse 2. Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Psalm 10, verse 9. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. Psalm twenty-two, thirteen: They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-one: Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And lastly, Jeremiah 30, verse 6. Excuse me, Jeremiah 30, verse 16. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make prey. Psalm 27, verse 2. My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. In contrast, David says of God in Psalm 18.33, He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Though the wicked will fall, though the wicked will be destroyed, though the wicked will be judged, the righteous will be kept forever. God's people will be preserved for all time. Why? For Christ's sake. Not for anything that you have done, dear person, but for Christ's sake. The psalmist writes, It is they who stumble and fall. We see similar language used in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 15, when referring to the judgment upon the Israelites. And in Jeremiah 46, verse 6, we hear the prophesied judgment upon the Egyptians. Reading Isaiah 8, 15, And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Jeremiah 46, verse 6. The swift cannot flee away, nor the warrior escape. In the north by the river Euphrates, they have stumbled and fallen. Spiritually, we cannot come to God unless He draws us. And God doesn't only do the drawing. He also does the keeping and the holding we would have all fallen away, Christians, long ago if it were not for the sovereign preservation of Almighty God. Hear God's message of comfort to Israel in Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
while this message was directly for Israel, it is also a truth and a reality for every Christian. Fear not, Christian, for He is with you. Christian, do not be dismayed or distressed, for He is your God, and He will sustain you. He will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with His righteous, almighty, anthropomorphic hand. Although our God sustained David, and our God did not forsake David, there was one who was forsaken by God. One who was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. One from whom men did hide their faces. One who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. One who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord and the Father has laid on Jesus the iniquity, the sin, the wrongdoing, the rebellion of us all. He had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased Yahweh, it pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This is the one who cried out on a criminal's wooden cross in Matthew 27, verse 46. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are clearly told in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, that he who is hung on a tree is accursed of God. This is Jesus, the suffering Savior of the world, who died in his humanity, rose from the grave, and now victoriously sits at the right hand of God the Father. He conquered death and defeated the kingdom of darkness, the God-man, truly God and truly man. Galatians 3.13 reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He is the one who is spoken about in Hebrews 1, 3-4. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If you do not know Christ... If you do not know the Savior, the only Savior, then you need to come to Him. Not this afternoon, not tomorrow, and not next week. For behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. May that be true of you, my dear friend. Turn away from your selfish living and bow to the Lordship, to the rule of Christ. And may Christ be your all in all. May He be the focus of the rest of your existence. David died, but when he died, he went to be with the Lord. May you, when, you're, when you die, be able to join David in the worship of God. Directing your attention to Psalm 27, verse 3. 
Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David would not fear because he had confidence in the Lord. May you, dear brother and sister, not fear, but instead have hope and confidence in our great God and Savior. Look to Jesus. Think about Peter when he went out on the water. Lord, may I come to you. He walks on the water, but he begins to drown. He begins to sink because he took his eyes off Christ and he looked to the storm. We need our focus. We need to focus upon Christ daily, every day, throughout the day. Focus upon Him. Love Him. Serve Him. He is beautiful. He is lovely. He is pure and He is holy. I may not know you, brother or sister, but God does. He knows what's on your mind right now. He knows if you love Him. He knows if you're hardened to Him. He knows if you are stubborn and unwilling to bow the knee to Him. But He made you. He enables you to live. Today you may be facing terminal illness. Look to Jesus, beloved. You may be tending to the needs of a loved one who is suffering. Look to Jesus, beloved. You may be tormented by your family or former friends because you stand for Christ. Look to Jesus, beloved. We are not promised a worldly, pleasure-filled American dream utopia, but for those that know God, we have peace with God. And the Almighty Comforter and Helper, the Holy Spirit, will strengthen you. Directing your attention back to Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, My heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Look to Jesus, and may He be your light and salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. We bow before Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that your sovereign will will prevail because it will in every single heart here today. Oh, Lord, will you get glory? Oh, Lord, will you get glory? Will you have mercy? Will you save? Will you soften hearts? Will you quicken them? Lord, give us a love for you, a greater love, a greater vision for your Son. Oh, Father, I pray that you are or will be the light and the salvation of everyone here today, all because of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.